What's up, everyone? This week on the pod, we are back and we are talking hardcore. Also, we got another contest this week. So when you hear someone say the name of this episode, which is You Call Me a Scum, you can shoot me an email, 185 miles south at gmail.com. Let me know when in the episode you heard that, and we will enter you into a drawing to win some cool stuff. So once again, when you hear the title of this episode, you can shoot me an email, 185 miles south at gmail.com. Let me know when you heard it, if it's at the 20-minute mark, the 40-minute mark, the 60-minute mark, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, we'll enter you into a drawing. We will keep it open until midnight on Wednesday. And so uh, get it in by then, and it will be fun. Also, the second and final drop of Ben Edge and Dan Wiseman's article on 1.5, The Zone in Between Punk and Hardcore, came out on pleasekillme.com last week. So go check that out. We will do a future episode where we dive into it and talk to uh, Dan as well as Ben about it. So you're going to want to get a head start because that is a beefy ass article. It's long, but it's awesome. So check that out. Pleasekillme.com. Also, you got to go to 185milesouth.com. It's got all our links. You can go there to figure out how to support us. You got to smash that Patreon button. You got to add us on social media. Tell your friends about the podcast and subscribe to it. All that stuff is important. It keeps the thing alive and it is much appreciated. Let's get on with the show. Hundred eighty-five miles south, a hardcore punk rock podcast. The fight lasts for hours, each ram battering the other dozens of times. Okay, we have Dan Sant, we have Bedge, and we have The Legend. Episode one, Joe Rivas. All right, we are going head-to-head, and this is a tough one, because we're going to put the Unity UR1 7-inch up against Youth of Today Can't Close My Eyes 7-inch. And uh, this is a rough one, dude. And what's your opinion on these records? Well, they're both straight-edge records that came out in 1985, so it is a an apt... I, I agree with the matchup. It makes sense. Um, it's and it's also East Coast versus West Coast, and I'm going West Coast, <laughs> but not be, not not because I'm from the West Coast. Because essentially, this is sort of a minor threat versus antidote debate. Because Unity is going for the minor threat thing, and Youth of Today is going for the antidote thing. In in broad general, I'm doing broad brush strokes here when I'm talking about this, but. Those those seem to be the the most standout influences for for those two bands, at least to my ears. And and um, um, you know, if you put any other Youth of Today record up against um this Unity record, I might go with the Youth of Today record. But for this one, uh, this is 
Youth of Today never played a bad note. Like every song on every record is great. This is happens to be my least favorite Youth of Today record, uh, not by that wide of a margin. But man, Unity, it's so they're doing the dicka 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 beat, which I usually don't like, but it this is like the best example of that beat working. And you you broke it down, Zach, once. Like it has to do with the way the drums are mic'd. I, I can't remember what you said. High snare, low hi hat, baby. High snare, snare high in the mix, hi hat low in the mix, bass drum. I would probably guess medium in the mix. It Something depends like on that. if they're if they're literally doing do that do that do that do that. Then you want the bass drum a little lower. Yep. Okay, man, we you got to be a recording engineer. I think you've like nailed like so much of this. Um, Thirty five years too late on this sound, unfortunately. <laughs> the song "Can't Close My Eyes" though is the shit, and I first heard it on KXLU. Uh, I guess I was already a fan of Youth of Today, but I didn't have this record yet. And I was like, yes, a Youth of Today song I'd never heard before. This is incredible. And I, I remember playing along with it on the bass and I chipped my bass on the edge of my bed and there's still that chip on the bottom of my bass. And every time I feel it, I'm like, can't, I think of Can't Close My Eyes. So that's kind of cool. That song is a rager, you know? But yeah, okay. So you said it's it's more minor threat and antidote. I would say Youth Today is going victim in pain. You know, I think it's more agnostic front than antidote, but vocally, definitely antidote, right? <clears throat> but as far as like the song structure, I don't know. It is what it is. This, the, okay, both these records are awesome, near perfect records for this era, which is crazy because they both get smoked by associated records. Like, this is definitely the worst Youth of Today. And this still, kicks ass you know like this is awesome and also like the uniform choice lp is better than this unity just because sonically it sounds it sounds better the drumming's better pat dubar sounds better everything but let's break these down let's see today seven inch like ben said can't close my eyes a total rager youth crew blueprint like slow hardcore song super catchy great and and there's some campy shit in here like the X on my hand, I'll take the oath. But still, it's just, it's awesome. They're young kids. That's not campy. That's fucking epic. They'll take the oath. All right, dude. That's cool. Um, <laughs> it was flat, I'd grind the edge. X on my hand. My heart, I pledge. Eh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my I, heart is pledged. I have oh. faith. The way they, they kind of do like the bouncy beat, but then Ray sings it like a, very similar to Wolfpack is so rad and then it just break into the fast part it's like okay this is my favorite music i love it like absolutely love it um and then of course on the song youth of the day like that that riff and then it's got like one of my favorite lyrics of all time that live fast die young was just a fad for fucking losers who didn't care like ooh, talk about like a genre defining line like that is so ill you know, take that, like, Sid Vicious. I mean, exactly. Take it's that, like, Johnny Thunders. Yep. Well, take that, Circle Jerks. Live fast, die young. Right? Yeah, I mean, like they're saying, like we're doing a, a different thing. You know, where sonically it still has like you're pulling a lot from like the early shit, but they're like, here's us. We're the youth of the day. What's up? You know. Yeah, no, so I just, I'm just, I'm just joking that they're saying it to people who are dead who can't hear them. You fucking losers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. 
the, the unity seven inch is so good. And listening to this again today, like, you know, I know like PMA, I know straight on view, like these are songs that make like playlists that I, I do, but like digging back into this record and really both these records, like they could be like their LP worthy, you know, like the song, the game is so good. I could do without the woes, but whatever. And actually on the last chorus, they don't do I really the woes, don't like the woes and it's ill. I know. It's like, how do you do that last chorus without the woes? And it sounds better than the ones with the woes. Like, just take them off, dude. Come on. <laughs> the, the start, the drumming on breaking through is so ill. Like to do like the ring out and then like, dude just goes right. Like, Oh, it's so good. And, uh, yeah. How about love, dude? It's like a mid-tempo song with like lots of like accents and so forth, like to break up a record. Like that's an LP like worthy song. Like that's a song you put on an LP, not a seven inch. And like, it's still like, it's there. It nails it. Like this seven inch, like takes you on a journey, you know? And I would say that that's why this seven inch is maybe more interesting than the youth of the day. Seven inch is like the whole thing is a, a journey. I love to take the whole ride. It's ill. Ben, you went Unity? I went Unity, yeah. I can't decide, dude. This one's too close. I'm, I'm waiting until fourth. <laughs> Joe, let's go to you. What's your, th- what's your take on this? Okay, so both of these records are awesome. I love all of the lyrics. I, I read all of them uh, earlier this afternoon because I didn't want to do actual work at work. So um, they're, they're all, I mean, let, let me rephrase that. They're the message of all of them is, is, is amazing. Um, maybe some of the lyrical, you know, structure and stuff is a little cheesy here and there, but they're kids. So whatever. Um, this is the guy that wrote a song about seagull guts. So, um, I, I love the unity sound way more than the youth of today stuff. Although I like, as as you guys have both mentioned, Ben and you, that the the following Youth of Today record is way, 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 way better. Um, so I, I I I I'm gonna have to call it for Unity um, for this. And then and then I just have this note here. I'm like, can you imagine what this would sound like talking about the Unity um, with a you know a modern high budget recording? You can, because it's called Call of My Brothers. Oh, <laughs> come on. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, what's your take on this? So, if Screaming for Change never existed, like, this Unity 7-inch might be even regarded higher than it is, you know? Um... Breaking Through is the best song on the record. It it's tunefulness and the and the oh god I love that song. And then what's awesome is Love almost was written as like a complimentary like add-on to Breaking Through, I feel. Like the vibe of Breaking Through going into that is so perfect. Um we know how classic the first two songs are. I mean they're amazing plus the sound in general is so good and so um 
unique for what this is. But youth of today, <laughs> youth of today, is just unstoppable. Like the youth of today, seven inch. I mean, you guys talked about um, can't close my eyes, and you talked about uh, other songs, but you didn't mention expectations. So it, good. I was going to. God, what a song, and what a growling, snarling person. You say like this is channeling, you know, antidote, but this is taking antidote and going, you fucking wish you could be like this vocally. Like it's, it's a wild Tasmanian devil that's been poked with sticks and then led into a vocal booth. It's amazing. And it's that much anger and that much growl and frustration and snarl. And it's all positive. (laughs) Everything that's being sung about is no, we're going this way, not that way. It's fucking amazing. And this may be downplayed in in the thought because of so much good stuff comes from this band later. But this if this is your intro and and let's say Scream for Change never happened, and let's say the rest of the youth of today records never happened. And this band was out there sounding like this, this would still be I know you hate the term, but God tier hardcore. Like this is fucking unbelievable. And I would die for the unity seven inch, but I'm going YOT. Yeah. I mean, both of these are hurt by screaming for change. And then the youth of day catalog, you know, cause if they stood alone in a universe where those didn't exist, you're right. Like they're, they stand out more, you know, but we know like the things to come. You know, and it's funny that you talk about breaking through as your standout song because I think that that's the most generic song on the seven inch. You know, it's it's the only one that goes like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, breakdown, back to fast with like a little bit of a lead. I, I don't care. I don't care about the 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 music theory of what the parts are. It's the most that's giving you that stuff that's touched on 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 uh, songs like No Thanks. It's giving you that thoughtfulness of the vocal melody of the finally you understand you know like it's giving you yes. that on the, breakdown, on the breakdown it's the closest there yeah so like that's where you get you start to get a, a hint of what's to come for screaming for change but on the verses it's it's dubar's weakest vocal performance i think because yeah but but the part where it it, it goes to the ch- like the chugga chugga palm mute it part and he starts singing that tuneful cadence it yes. blows the rest of the seven inch away, just that part alone for me. Okay. I'm just can, like, can, give me more can, of that. Give me more yeah. of that. And then I get it with another band later on. No, I can see that. But on the verses, he's singing along with the guitar, which is like not what good vocalists do. And like, this is the one time that he does that, that I can think of where it's like so egregious, like going along with the guitar. And, <laughs> and it hurts me to say, because this is one of my favorite singers of all time. And he nails it on the breakdown, but the verses are, not the best. Um, yeah, I don't know. So, oh, God. I got to. Unity has a better recording. It's clearer sounding. Yeah, but <laughs> I don't think you expect the YOT. I mean, I don't think the YOT. I mean, yeah, it would probably benefit from a better recording, but it would also 
denigrate what it is. It's a heavily Xeroxed cover with a heavily Xeroxed guitar. <laughs> you know, it sounds like crunchy, like it just sounds, it sounds amazing. Like it, it sounds yeah. what it should be for can't close my eyes, you know? And, and the juxtaposition of how mean and gnarly it sounds with the lyrics is out of this world. I got to go you today. It hurts to say oh. I wanted to go unity, but I got to go you today. Oh, we're this split. Record, we're this split. record, this record is too much. They both are. They both are. Now, if we did break down the walls versus screaming for change, I just, I might just jump out the window instead. of. <laughs> that's know? easy. That's an easy flip for me. Stay and tuned next week, kids. That's what's so interesting to it <laughs> is that, yeah, this is my uh, choice in these two, but then you go and another year or two, or you go another year, right? Or is it two? You go, 86. no, you go one more year, 86 for both. I flip instantly. Oh, now we can't do that segment. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah. I don't know. I'm going to live up to my garbage pail kid name and be Zach Splat if we have to do that. Here's something. <laughs> here's something interesting. Uh, are any of you familiar with Porcel's old band, Young Republicans? This is in, I don't know where he's from, upstate New York. I'm familiar with the name, but I'm not familiar with the material. So, so they had a demo in 83. It didn't come out on vinyl until 2010. It's called Sabotage Your Cookout. It is this lineup, the Can't Close My Eyes Youth, um, the Can't Close My Eyes Youth of Today lineup with a different singer. It's the same exact bass player, drummer, guitar player, which I didn't realize until uh very recently so how's the music though like sounding wise it's it's goofier lyrically but a lot of the song a lot of the music itself got recycled for youth of today and for project x so it is still post victim in pain uh and you know early new york hardcore worship then no because it was recorded in 83 before victim in pain was well antidote's 83 right yeah, Antidote was 83. So th- theoretically, they heard Antidote and then, the re- and then they made this record. I don't know. All right. They, to wrap we, this segment, though, we should shout out to, uh, fr- from fame of 185's first trivia, we got to shoot out to, shout out to Darren Pesci or Darren Pesky. Right, Daniel? <laughs> yes. Your homie. Oh, and what, did he, what did he go on to be? <laughs> Pes- Pesky Pescado from Rubio's Tacos. He had a really long <laughs> career as the as the logo. Shout out, Darren. Behind Frosty, you're my favorite. Side A versus Side B. All right, we got Dan Sant, Ben Edge, and Posse Chris. All right, let's jump right in. Uh, this is one that I chose. It is an LP from the year 2019. We are going to break down Never Ending Game. The Just Another Day LP came out on Triple B Records. And I'll start it off. When I was listening to this, I love this record. It's one of my favorite of 2019. And I just think that sonically, this is like definitively hardcore, which is so interesting because so often we break down like, what's punk? What's hardcore? What's metalcore? What's heavy metal? What's this and that? Like, and just listening to this first song, it's like, I don't know how anyone could be confused. Like, this is what hardcore music sounds like. Like, this is a hardcore band, a hardcore song, a hardcore record. And, uh, you know, they don't, it doesn't sound like they drop tune. They might be a half step down and they might be in maybe D standard, 
but they're not going overboard with distortion or anything. And it's just really rad. It's got like the kind of the sound, like how set it off sounds. So like beefy and heavy in a way, but like not metal in any way. So like, they're just sitting right in that perfect sonic lane for what I like. And this album bangs out the gate. Uh, I think it's weighted pretty heavy on side a, so I'm taking side a, uh, the first four songs are just, they take you apart, you know, like start off fast, of course, cause it's a hardcore record and that mosh on evil minds is so fucking good. And then they hit you with the bounce on the second song puppet, you know, it's like kind of a mid tempo bounce, but it's got like a super catchy chorus. Like the puppet on a string line is really good. And then it's like the next song that just another day, they're still leaning to the bounce, but it's like a more up tempo bounce. It's like, they're all over the place in like every fucking lane I love, you know? And then uh, they tuck a bunch of little tricks in this album too, to make it like really interesting. Like the, the very beginning, like little riff trick they do on God forgives, like the do, 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 like the pan of both guitars, you know, and like into another bounce song. It's like, God damn, this is so good. Now side two is also rad but it's them branching out and just being a little bit more ambitious, which I can appreciate as well. Like uh, stolen life. They do kind of like a, like a clean channel intro thing. That's pretty cool. Cause it's still like kind of steeped in hardcore in the way that like bulldoze had a song that like kind of went that way, you know? And so it's, it's cool like that. Um, and they still got bangers on song side too, like cemetery dream is just like a straight hard song. Uh, the Everyday Hate has like one of the best moshes on this record doing the trick where you're doing like the slow chug on the guitar, but like the double kick is going at like at a faster pace. It's kind of like a suffocation-esque trick, um, but done really well here. And then they go for it on the last song of the record, which is the spot to like put your most ambitious song. Like they lean a little more into the melody. They do a three minute track. Um, Probably my least favorite song on the record is the last song, but Hey, that's, that's that's, crazy. That's the spot to stick it. Like if you want to take some risks, like chuck it at the end of the album, some people are going to love it. Some people aren't, but uh, I love this record. I think again, one of the best records of 2019, probably one of the best records in the last 10 years. And, uh, but I'm going side a Daniel, how do you feel about this one? Well, remember when, you know, we've put this playlist together and stuff and I, I started, kind of cranking through it to listen to things that I'd never listened to before this being one of them. And I, <laughs> I must've texted you like eight times during it <laughs> at the beginning saying, Oh, this is so boring. Why did you pick this? You know? And then I'm like, Oh, okay. This song's all right. So basically um, that song puppet, on the on side A, I really like the flow of the song and the discordant maiden esque riffs as the guitars are like almost dueling but in a discordant way. That's pretty cool. Uh, the unique backups make it a pretty standout track. It's my favorite on side A. Um, Just another day has a really cool bass intro. God forgives, sick mosh part. Neg jams. Uh, no thank you. Stop jamming. I don't like that song at all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I should have said, like, th- that's the worst track on the record, obviously. Yeah. Um, Bleeding, there's the, such a maniacal, like, extra vocal by someone else in the band that is 
it sounds like a rabid vulture or something. It's like, it's really (laughs) crazy. Then you flip the record and you've got stolen life. Um, It has this, like you say, like a maiden mega death, almost like clean intro. Um, But then it goes like tough as fuck. It's my favorite track on the LP. Um, It's a really good metallic influenced hardcore track. I feel on side two, the band, maybe I was getting more and more into it as I listened to it more. And I, I listened to it twice, so it's not like, uh, but I, I really like side two a lot better. Um, they start sounding more and more like the promise to me <laughs> as the record goes on. Um, Cemetery dream is very promise esque. It's a total banger of a song. And then uh, the last song I think is awesome. The, it musically starts out so great. The vocals take it up a notch. Um, It's got that, what you would describe as YOLO drumming, you know, the kind of, the kind of thing where the drummer is showing he definitely has chops and does the super like fast, almost something that you would find on like district nine or something like that, you know, that kind of drumming. Um, And then it's really crazy because the song is almost like, in two parts. So like the second act of the song uh, totally goes into like a interesting pathway. That's not heard really anywhere else on the record. And, uh, and it, it builds into a really cool conclusion. And so for me, it's side two side B by a mile. Yeah. I love it. I love it. That's so rad. Uh, Chris, let's go to you on this one. Yeah, I think, it sounds like I had kind of a, a similar listening experience uh, as Dan did here. Like uh, this is a record that um, I didn't really, haven't really given a lot of listens to before this exercise. Um, I've checked it out, but for some reason it didn't really grab me the first few times I tried it. Uh, you know, it just, I don't know. There, there was something that didn't grab me and I don't think I made it all the way through, you know, the, the two or three times that I, revisited it um but i'm really glad that we that this is on here and we did this because you know as i tried it again as as i went through it listened to it a lot more closely like on headphones not on you know my computer speakers um while i'm also working you know which is totally like distracts from the vibe of of listening and really hearing like you know, particularly on something like this that covers a lot of ground, like you lose a lot of that stuff. So I'm glad that we the, we went back and did this um, or that, that you know, Zach, you wanted to do this and that gave me a chance to kind of let it sit with me and, and, and hear, you know, hear it some more and, and give it more of a chance to speak with me because I actually really like it now. Um, a couple of thoughts. I think it's funny that Daniel mentioned the promise. Cause I actually, the vocals do remind me of Anderson a lot. Um, Big time. Right. Especially as the record progresses, I feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I couldn't put my finger on it at first. Uh, but, but yeah, definitely. He sounds a lot like Anderson. Um, one of the, one of the things I really like is just, I, I like how some of the vocal phrasing sits over the drums. It, it was reminding me of something else for a while that I couldn't put my finger on it. And I finally did. And I was like, Whoa. And I think that's, it reminds me a lot of New Jersey bloodline, like how there'll be like ring out parts with like 
some some drums that are jazzy and and active but like also have space you know where like it's like you know like i don't know there's like little space parts in between it and then the vocals just kind of bounce over over those and, and it really reminds me to of new jersey bloodline i went back and actually listened to them again and 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 uh that you know initial thought it 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 did kind of have that vibe it doesn't sound exactly like new jersey bloodline or anything but like it has that feel and and uh it's cool that's um, the you went back and you're like yes i was correct yeah yeah it's kind of funny i was like am i uh, is this gonna be now and i was like i think particularly on the song god forgives if you put it on at 47 seconds when it rings out and he says no sympathy for those who left me behind like that part especially i was like i think that's the moment i was when i realized that it reminded me of them um last thing i want to say this is a mosh band they're all about the mosh and and that's kind of one of the things that i i wondered if um the reason it didn't speak to me at first is because i haven't seen them live and seen what happens when they play but um what i realized as i listen to this it's not it's heavy and hard and it's, it's totally like the right band for, you know, the, the Detroit Assance. Um, but the thing that makes them stand out is that a lot of modern mosh bands for the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years um, are missing an element that like the originators of like the nineties, early nineties kind of mosh had. And that's that kind of weirdo, <laughs> weirdo bass player or like weirdo jazz slash metal influence. Um, you know, you go back and listen to a, a lot of those bands from that era. Um, it, there's, there's a weird, you know, hair metal influence. There's a weird jazz influence where it's not just all about the mosh. There's a lot of uh, interesting musicianship happening. And I think that's kind of phased out over the years, you know, maybe because, people just want the hard and they don't really, you know, they just want people to beat each other up when they play and they don't really care about the <clears throat> the jazzy stuff, or maybe it's because they don't have the chops to pull it off. But I think one of the cool things that I realized, particularly as I get further in this record towards the end tracks is like never ending game really stays true to that vibe, uh, particularly on stolen life and one of those nights, um, which those are the two standout tracks for me. Um, I think I, I totally agree with Daniel. Like it, it starts out good, solid, hardcore, but like the further I get into this record, the further I realize that this is a great hardcore record. And, and uh, I think that those two songs are a big reason why, you know, it goes from good to great. So I'm taking B it's an easy choice for me. Two to one. Yeah. I would just say that a good hardcore record like that is not overly heavy, like can be kind of rare. And I think that's why I lean so hard into the first four tracks. Like they're not like rocking the HM2. They're not going for like overtly metallic, like just, they have like the brutal mosh, but sonically it's not heavy metal. You know, it's, it's so rad in that way. And I love that you brought up like, you know, like the crazy bass player, I think that's just a symptom of hardcore getting older because like as the decades go on, 
bands can draw influence from more and more hardcore bands. Where if you think about a band that's playing in like 1992, the amount of influences you can have for like a metallic hardcore band is relatively limited, you know? So you are drawing more from other genres of music where, you know, in, in 2019, when this LP comes out, you have decades and decades of hardcore to harken back to. So it's just one step removed. Like they can be influenced by the early nineties hardcore bands, right? Like they don't have to pull influence out of a different genre or subgenre. But uh, yeah, that, those are great points. And Ben, let's go to you for your take. Um, Zach picked this record because he's obsessed with professional wrestling and the singer sounds like macho man, Randy Savage. How, how accurate am I, Zach? <laughs> R.I.P. R.I.P. Macho Man. Um, oh, yeah. There are two, two, before I go into my thing, there's two questions I have for Zach. And, and one is, is this considered slam or is this considered beatdown or another micro genre of hardcore? What would you th- say? Well, I think that's the reason why I'm giving it so much glory is because I don't think it falls into any subgenre. I think that this is straight up hardcore. Okay. That's, so the, that's why I love it so much. So the patron saint of this style of hardcore would be Hatebreed, Madball, Cold as Life, or someone else. Yeah, it'd be like a, a Sick of It All or a Madball. Oh, really? You get Sick of It All from this? I don't, I don't get that, but maybe I'm, maybe I should listen to more Sick of It All. Well, um, good, good solid hardcore band with like professional production, you know? Okay, in that sense, I suppose. Um, this kind of reminds me of another victim in that they're playing the fast standard hardcore beat as slowly as you can play it and have it still be a fast standard hardcore beat. And they're down tuned as well. So it almost sounds like a regular fast hardcore record just played on a slower speed. Do you you get that vibe from another victim? Like when I first heard them, I thought that's, that almost sounds like just regular hardcore slowed down because it's pitched lower too. Well, that's the integrity. Anderson's. Yes, yeah, that's funny that you guys hearken to the same singer, but that's that's it, like the integrity influence. Like if you think about a fast beat played as slow as possible, like mm. listen to the song "Rise" by Integrity, the first song off like the last Melnick LP. Right. Okay. And then, um, so that's the beginning of the record, and and then you have this, um, um, like you get the mosh parts, and then you get the pinch harmonics, and then, um. And then the breakdown of just another day reminds me of integrity. There you go. Um, And then, uh, but I'm only really talking about the first breakdown of just another day. And then that part of the breakdown breaks itself down. So it's like, there's just like breakdown upon breakdown upon breakdown. And then uh, God forgives sounds really rapidy. And, and, um, I deduct points for that because, you know, I hate rap music. And then um, NEG Jams is instrumental funk, so that I, that gets a major point deduction. And the backup vocals on Bleeding. So now we're on side, <laughs> now we're on side B. The backup vocals on Bleeding, um, Dan already talked about that. So I'm with him on that 100%. Um, but the song makes up for that with a sick Middle Eastern style guitar solo. Uh, then uh, they eliminate any goodwill they have with me with that double bass pedal part. <laughs> and then there's uh, 
this wacky, funky middle section in Stolen Life, but at, which is kind of cool because it breaks up the song a little. Uh, Cemetery Dream has like six breakdowns in a row. <laughs> it really does. Like I didn't count them, but it was somewhere around six. <laughs> so I mean, minus six points for that. Ben, um, ben, ben hates the bonus mosh. Yeah, like it's kind of like shit ben, or get off the pot. Don't Ben's, like, Ben's just, into rationing like it's World War II. You only get one posh, mosh part of song, yeah. kids. You have to ration your mosh. Come on. I, I think <laughs> mosh- doesn't Ben also likes songs with two guitar solos and the. Oh, yeah, six guitar solos. No, I think of mosh, I, mosh parts like eating candy like if you if you all you do is eat candy for a day you're gonna it's bad it's not it defeats the purpose of eating candy so yeah <laughs> they use sparingly and then um i guess side b wins because one of those nights has a has a take offense style solo in it do you get a fence vibe from that uh solo in in that in the very last song on side b nobody okay well i'm going with side b all no, right. I do. Um, I can back you up on that point. Also, uh, stolen life. You said it. it it's interesting that it gets broken up, but that that part is so cool, and it makes you know such quite a a different um, song from the rest of the record. I yeah, think I wonder. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, uh, NEG jams. I'm wondering if that was inspired by Hypno Jam with Dan on the Quicksand Seven Inch. Because it's Could an be. instrumental kind of, eh, it's not really funky, but whatever. Yeah, I would just say that anytime you're in a hardcore band and your solo gets compared to Take Offense, it's the utmost compliment. And I agree. All right. So three to one, I lose, side B wins. Let's move on to Ben's selection, uh, which should be a selection for any true hardcore kid. Uh, we're doing the Agnostic Front United Blood 7-inch self-released 1983 and kept in press by bridge nine records. So thank you bridge nine for uh, making this available for everyone. And let's go to you, Dan. Okay. Uh, On a recent pod, we discussed how um, United blood doesn't beat the um... (laughs) God, my mind just went blank. The antidote seven inch because it's not peak uh greatness of af and you know they hadn't quite got what is amazing as Vic- victim in pain but no united Boy- blood beats the antidote seven inch it does <laughs> i uh i loved revisiting this again uh hadn't done it for a bit and god no one rules i love the slow m- marsh guitar riff i've always wanted that to be explored further you know how it starts the song and then they go to breakneck speed i'm like no 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 go back to that intro riff (laughs) it would have been like the cultivation of of what we call you know like bounce marsh or whatever um yeah i love that song final war has like a total uk82 feel transmitted through the bodies of roger and stigma uh last warning this is my favorite uh, AF song on this record uh, such a perfect song such perfect that two of the best NYHC seven inches rip it off <laughs> in their own way Project X kind of rips off the bass intro completely 
side by side on the song side by side rip off the vocal melody of this song like listen to these back to back and then you'll you'll hear what i'm what i'm saying um traitor i've always felt like was a bit of a throwaway song compared to everything else around it um and then we finish side a with friend or foe which is a really sick mad ball cover um (laughs) (laughs) or sacto hoods true um such a amazing song right and then we flip the record and you go to united blood what a surly bass intro mosh riff perfect hardcore song absolutely perfect um fight again a great song but it's the it's the one that's hiding amongst all these great ones on side b um discriminate me I I've always loved like whenever I've listened to this and he says, you think uh, uh, like you call me a scum, <laughs> like a scum, not scum. And One I've always singular scum. Yeah. <laughs> I've always like, that's always stayed in my head ever since I listened to it for the very first time, you know, it's more degrading because it is singular, you know, yeah. scum. It's like, Oh, you're a part of a scummy group or something, but like, a singular scum like you are the scum that's worse but the would make sense but ass scum is is i don't know it's just interesting english but it's because it rhymes with a bum you know but (laughs) (laughs) um in control i don't know why anybody would name their band no just kidding uh in control it's a little too manic for me. That song was always, I've never really gelled with it. Um, and then crucial changes, sick riff. And then the bleh at the end is just worth the price of admission right then and there. Oh, United blood and discriminate me are so strong, but I got to say the sheer power of last warning and friend or foe slightly edge outside a ahead of B for me. But I mean, it is, it's as they say, a sea hair difference. Yeah. It felt so weird, you know, talking about what seven inches were better than antidote and not having this there because all these songs are so fucking awesome. But I think that they're just hurt by the fact that, we know what they can achieve on victim and pain, which is a perfect hardcore record. And this recording is just not there. Like the drums aren't loud enough is probably what's holding it back mostly. But uh, yeah, side a no one rules. Great way to start the record. Final war. (laughs) What a fucking perfect song. Like they're kind of like going into the song and they take up half the song, like in kind of like the intro. Yeah. But the song's 22 seconds, which makes it that fucking wild. Right. So yeah. it's like the song itself is really like 15 seconds, you know, so fucking rad. And it's just that very simple formula of like verse, a really, really quick ring out and then a chorus. And then they're fucking out like no fluff, straight up. Perfect song. Let's define a genre of like what the best short song can be. Like this rule is so hard. And then last warning coming after it. One of the greatest songs of all time. Absolutely perfect. Hardcore YOLO as fuck hitting the scissor beat, like the most tasteful version of doing like a scissor beat. Like this is great. Trader. It's just unfortunate that it lands between last warning and friend or foe. Yeah. No, no song deserves this treatment because like <laughs> friend or foe. I mean, it's like, 
we've talked about it before, like guitar riffs that are as catchy as like a vocal hook. I mean, this is one of them, you know, young till I die friend or foe. Like this is like the apex of a catchy hardcore riff mountain friend or foe is so fucking good. Do you hear what, do you hear what I'm saying on last warning about project X ripping off the bass and side by side, uh, vocal melody wise ripping off, uh, the vocal rhythm of last warning for side by side. Yeah. A hundred percent. I also just think that like they created a formula here of a hardcore song that many bands would do moving forward, you know, like that bass intro part, like it's a tried and true technique that just can never get old. It's that good, you know, going to side B United blood. Okay. Another perfect hardcore song, like (laughs) hit me with more good God. All right. Fight super rad. Just like the way they're hitting, like, this is like not shying away. Like we're a hardcore punk band, you know, like that is so fucking punk. The fight, 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 fight. Super rad. Discriminate me. They hit on another tempo, kind of like actually a great circle mosh, like circle mosh tempo. Like, I just, I can picture my arms getting loose and fucking running in a circle. Fuck it. And then they do a tempo change on that too. Like bring it to the breakdown. In control and cru- crucial changes, perfectly great hardcore songs. But this is a seven inch where all the songs are rippers, but there are tent pole songs, very similar to the way that I described the antidote seven inch. Um, the fact that last warning and friend or foe are inside a, I got to go side a. So uh, that's that. And let's go to you, Chris. Yeah, I think uh, what I'm going to say is super original and totally different from uh, everything that's been said before me. Um, this is this record is a true hardcore classic. It's great to start to finish, but it's all about three standout tracks, and it's the same ones that they've that Zach and Dan have already mentioned. It pains my soul to to pick against the side that has United Blood, but uh, Last Warning and Friend or Foe are true standouts um you know the rest of the songs are not slouches but these are three songs that are epic anthems of hardcore and you know they've been covered for years because of that um so it's really like as zach and dan both said it's kind of a two against one thing i'm going side a all right and ben let's go to you all right lisa fancher's favorite record ever um I'm going to do a couple of fun facts first. This is, according to Discogs, the first record ever produced by Don Fury, which I didn't know. And the average song length on this record is 38.1 seconds. (laughs) Average. Sick. And six out of... I know, it's insane. Six out of the 10 songs are 30 seconds or shorter. And um, the longest song on the record is Friend or Foe at 1 minute 16 seconds. And the shortest song is Fight at 15 seconds. <laughs> and um, so I'm going to do the standout moments on side A. One, this is the final war and there'll be no one left. Two, when I try to do the right, you always put me down. Three, traitor, 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 traitor. You're going to face, you're going to face. Four, friend, foe. Oh, you, my friend or foe. Okay. Side B standout moments. One, uh, you don't want to support the seed. Why don't you get the fuck away from me? Two, fight for fight for fight for fight for fight for right. 
three in control. Control. Are you really in control? So four to three. Side A wins. What? what how? How could? How could you? How could you dis discriminate me? How could you disc? Traitor, 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 traitor. You're a fucking two-face. You're a fucking two-face. You're a fucking two-face, oh. man. He's a fucking two-face. Dan is a traitor, traitor. <laughs> and, Glad, and Gladly to leave that in the back. And Veg doesn't like to slam, so that's oh, why. Oh, but I picked this record, so I love it. And we all pick side A. Amazing, a blowout. We wouldn't have thought that. Yeah, but this side B is better than almost anything else on the fucking planet. Um. That's an interesting point you raised, Zach, about the bass intro for, I guess that would be, what, Last Warning? Yeah. Yep. Um, were there, what are some examples of, like, bass intros before this song? I can't think of any. Me neither. For this, this eight, style. This yeah. is 83, so it's so early. Hardcore is only two years old, you know? Yeah, I guarantee cool. there's listeners right now screaming like 15 to 20 bass intro songs. I know really? it's like the next time I go on the next time I go on mute, I'll listen to the whole negative approach seven inch and I'll, I'll tell you oh, something before it. I thought of one. Um, nothing trapped by the circle jerks. Trapped. I'm trapped. There you go. All right. Oh, and nothing by negative approach. Yeah. Yeah. I I would say that like nothing is a little different because the bass yeah okay fair enough let's <laughs> let's move on uh, this is right. a, a debate for another discussion <laughs> yeah yeah let's save it. In this corner, the challenger fighting out of the hard corner from Orange County, California. A black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and a red sash in hardcore history. It's the dean of no boozing and staying clean. It's Dave Ito. And his opponent, fighting out of the core corner from parts unknown, weight unknown. Reason he didn't pick minor threat in the straight edge Super 7, unknown. It is the reigning, defending, undisputed 185 miles south trivia champion of the world, Daniel. These questions are too easy. Sand! All right, first question goes to Dave Ito. Instant's debut LP was released on Indecision Records in what year? 1996. Daniel, we go to you for the potential steal. Ensign's debut LP was released on Indecision Records in what year? 1997. Dan steals a point in the first round. Let's see if he gets his first question right. Okay. The cover of the album, Cro-Mags... Here, I'm going to edit myself. (laughs) The cover of the Cro-Mags album, Age of Coral, is a photograph taken from the 1954 Castle Romeo test in the Marshall Islands. How did that test differ from the Castle Bravo test? It was uh, deemed a success while the Castle Bravo test was not. It didn't explode. Incorrect. It was just, <laughs> it's just a chemistry question, Daniel. Come on, step it up. <laughs> Romeo had 6.5% lithium-6 
and 92.5 percent <laughs> lithium seven isotopes were brought oh, dude, out approximately 40 percent get... lithium six. I didn't yeah. get a chance to steal that one. I knew that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just a gag question. But Dan, we do go to you for your real question, which is also chemistry related. In the song Body Bag by Pennsylvania's Rain on the Parade, which two elements will never gel? Oil and water. We go to Dave Ito for the potential steal. In the song Body Bag by Pennsylvania's Rain on the Parade, which two elements will never gel? I've never listened to this band, so I'm just going to go with love and hate. It's actually hardcore and metal. They'll never gel. So he's sending your sound back to fucking hell in a body bag. Yeah, but don't, see, this is another wording thing. Like you're, you're saying that it's chemistry. So I'm thinking of elements like, oh, Christ. I'm thinking of chemistry between two people. So I'm with you, Dan. That's why I went love and hate. Okay, so Dan gets no point. Dave gets no point, And I get no point. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Dave, you know, round number two. True or false? No official unbroken seven inch has more than two unbroken songs on it. True. Correct. A point to Dave Ito. Okay. And we move to Dan for your second question. This LP compilation named after a suicidal tendency song was released by Youngblood Records in 2000 and featured many bands, but not in control. (laughs) Why was in control not on it? <laughs> no, no, he doesn't get to waste time to think about the answer. Oh, Sa- good point. Sidebar: Why was in control not on it? Um, <laughs> God, it came out the. The only comp that is coming to my mind right now, and I know it's wrong because I know this is the California one, is Memories of Tomorrow. You, is that your final answer, Dan? <sighs> yes, you're correct. Oh, you, Dan. Damn. Woo. Good pull, Dan. For third round. Which came first, Burns' debut 7-inch on Revelation Records or the introduction of breadsticks at Domino's Pizza? <laughs> I'm going to go with Burns 7-inch. Correct. Point to Dave Ito. Right. Burns 7-inch comes out in 1990 and breadsticks are introduced at Domino's Pizza in 1992. Hardcore over breadsticks. Boom. <laughs> All right, we did, move did, on. Did Chaka uh, bring those up to the Domino CEO? Is it a double light burn related fact? <laughs> I do not I think, know. I don't. I don't have all the answers, Daniel. Just the answers to the questions I write. So that means that um, Domino's breadsticks are concurrent with the burn last great C recording. Oh, <laughs> Ooh, damn! Fun fact. Fun and fact. Domino's breadsticks operate in a post burn seven inch world. There we go. Okay. We go to Dan for your question number three. True or false? When Revelation Records re-released the two Chain of Strength 7 inches on LP in 1995, the cover photo is the same photo used on the True Till Death 7 inch. False. Point to Dan. It's that was the an same easy photo from their second seven inch. What holds us apart? Yep. Good job, Dan. Okay, Dave, Thank we you. go to you for your question number four. In 1988, CDs outsell vinyl for the first time ever. Also, Agnostic Front releases this notable live album. Victim and Pain. 
we go to Daniel for the possible steal. Oh, live, live at CBGB's. Point to Daniel. Live oh, at CBGB's. I that too fast. Yep. <laughs> got to settle in, dude. We're not going to hit you with that pressure button right away. Um, okay. Back to Daniel for round number four. This German straight edge band put out the talking straight seven inch on crucial response. Eyeball. 19. Dan. <laughs> I back it. This German straight edge band put out the talking straight seven inch on crucial response in 1998. Also, you see with it. <laughs> Eyeball. Point to Dan. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> okay. You go to Ito for round five. This underrated band featured members of Unbroken and Undertow and put out a self-titled seven inch on Indecision Records in 2006. The Vows. Point to Dave Ito. Smashing. Okay, Daniel, round five. The year is 1998. Okay, do you want to answer? Or should I finish the question? <laughs> Can I try to steal? <laughs> <laughs> the year is 1998. Gillette introduced the Mach 3 Razor, the first triple blade shaving tool. This band releases their LP for those who were crucified. NIV. We go to Ito for the possible steal. In 1998, Gillette introduced the Mach 3 Razor, the first triple blade shaving tool. This band releases their LP for those who were crucified. That one stumped me. I got nothing. It is all out war. No points that round. We go on to each other. Time out. What's, what's, the, what's the score right now? Ben, oh. give, him the, give, give him the tally. We've got Dan at five and Ito at three. Damn, I got right. there's still There's still hope. Okay, here we go to Ito for round six. A notorious 1980s place to see bands in Long Beach and also a guitar brand. Fenders. Oh. Point to Dave Ito. Yeah. Good one. Got me for a second. <laughs> okay. We go to Dan for around his question in round number six. What is Victory Records number one? Uh, God, we've just discussed it recently, I believe. Um, it's the. Comp, God, what's the fucking name of it? <sighs> John Brannon. Yep, give him to me. Yeah. yeah. It's a seven-inch compilation that features. Uh, basically, I don't know the name of it. We go to Dave Ito for the possible steal. Dave Ito, what is Victory Records number one? Is it the Billingate 7-inch? Close, but no. It's the Inner Strength 7-inch Time for Reality. Damn it. Okay. Is Billingate's two? 
Billing Gates is in the first five for sure. Okay. Okay. And Dan, you were thinking only the strong. Only the strong. Yeah. yeah. What was what was that? In the in, in the, the first five. Because he was on that victory the early years or the early singles. Yeah. CD. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We go to Dave Ito for his final question. I wonder in the nineteen ninety three film Blood In, Blood Out, Janice is shot during a bust for this type of drug that is also the name of a post trapped under ice band. Post trapped under ice band? Crack? I don't Daniel, we go to you for the possible steal. You better get this. Can you repeat the question, please? In the 1993 film Blood In, Blood Out, Janice is shot during a bust for this type of drug that is also the name of a post-trapped under ice band. Angel Dust. And with the steel. God damn it. Okay, and Dan, we go to you for your final question. Not including compilations featuring other bands or video compilations. According to Discogs... (laughs) The song Disconnected by Face to Face has appeared <laughs> on how many releases? Okay. If we're going to say not, <laughs> I'm going to say three releases. We go to Dave Ito for the possible steal. Oh, come on. Not, not including go compilations featuring other bands or video compilations. According to Discogs, the song Disconnected by Face to Face has appeared on how many releases? I'm going to go with four. No one gets it right. The answer is nine. <laughs> nine. <laughs> nine. Losers. <laughs> Losers. That does not even make sense. It's wild, but it's true. I Do they play on every too. record they've ever put out? But does that mean does that mean like the Doctor Strange pressing of Don't Turn Away and then the Fat Records no, pressing a no, Don't it Turn does Away? Not, dude. No. Oh my god, are you kidding me? <laughs> Holy crap. I don't even listen right. to face to face, so yeah, I but know, that's but... that that's a running joke on the pod that they put disconnected on everything, but we really didn't know it was nine. Didn't know it was nine, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But and even if you knew that they put it on every record, I mean, if I asked you how many records does face to face have, none of us would know. Yeah, you know, I, yeah, mean, I would have guessed four as well. Yeah, I, I know it's not on the the um, self titled album from '96. Shit, actually, I don't know. I think <laughs> I think it's not on that. I don't remember right. it being on that. Well, <laughs> you know <laughs> what? Okay, Trevor is probably listening to this, going, "You don't know nothing about me." <laughs> <laughs> one, two, one, two, three, four. All right, let's go to Ben Edge for the totals. All right, Dave Ito with uh, comes in with a total of four correct answers, and Daniel Sant, reigning champion, is uh, up there with six. A total of six, six. answers. Dan Woo! Sant is the champion still. Another win for Dan Sant. I bow down to the Dan. <laughs> love it, love it. Thank you, guys. All right, we have Dan Sant, Ben Edge, and Greg. Take offense, Sir Wonka. Okay, so I wanted to talk guitar tone, and that's why we had you on here, Greg, because Ben has often talked about how much he loves the flanger. Ben, can you talk about the hardcore bands that use the flanger? God, you know, off the top of my – you're putting me on the spot. Okay, you always bring up Dag Nasty and Verbal Assault. No, they use a chorus and a little bit of digital delay, uh, but mainly chorus. But um, 
you know, if you turn a flanger down really low, this is a, a little secret I learned from from the internet. If you turn a flanger down really low, it's indistinguishable from a chorus. So they are very closely related effects. So Greg, is that true or false? Yeah, because pretty much what all of these pedals do for our kind of illiterate guitar people listening to this is a phaser, a flanger, a chorus, this is to my knowledge, takes the input of your guitar and it, it doubles the signal, which I think, Ben, you can agree with that. And then each one chorus, a flanger, a phaser, kind of tweaks like both of those signals. So kind of takes them out of phase. So you kind of get this like doubled up sound. And then that's where you're kind of going to get slight differences with each one. I guess you could say maybe like a flanger is a little more wet sounding. A chorus is a more kind of like thickens things up. Uh, to me, choruses are a little like more bright, a little shimmery. And then I'd say a phaser, the best description I can give you of a phaser is just listen to the Van Halen eruption solo or listen to the Van Halen song Unchained because you'll kind of hear it like it's almost like the riff kind of goes through like a peak, like a wah, 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 kind of thing. Like, I don't know if any of that makes sense, but that's kind of my knowledge of it. So, yeah, I'd say uh, the best way to identify a flanger is it kind of sounds like an airplane taking off. It's like you have that going on yes. in the background. Mick and then Jones uses the flanger quite a bit. Who does? Mick Jones. Mick Jones. He, well, might, the class he might use a phaser more than he uses a flanger. But well, let's talk about who uses stuff in hardcore. Okay, in hardcore, uh, you got chorus. Well, chorus in general, I would say, you know you're listening to a chorus when it just sounds like the 80s. <laughs> yeah, that's... <laughs> because in, in, in the 80s, you have like gothy kind of bands, like uh, post-punky, uh, mostly UK bands using a lot of chorus. You also have a lot of that mid '80s DC, uh, like Dag Nasty, uh, Embrace, and then Verbal Assault from Rhode Island using chorus. And then you also have um, like big uh, stadium hair metal bands using a lot of chorus. It's really just the kind of the official, the unofficial effect of the '80s in general, regardless of genre. Yeah, and I I think like kind of uh, a good track to kind of like really introduce that effect is uh is uh that that song brass and pocket who the fuck does that one again the pretenders the pretenders yeah because like right when you hear that riff like that thing thing like super jangly but it's like really bright and you're just like yep this is going to be the clean guitar tone of the 80s and uh, yeah, that, yeah. damn near just like i said uh, like ben said just it just sounds like that decade because it was just used on fucking everything. Like every genre used it. Like you just said, like it's on every goth cut. It's on every, you know, I mean, for, for solo tones, cause this is what I use for guitar solo tones is I use a boss super chorus in the effects loop. Cause I'm not a fucking Neanderthal. And I use a little bit of delay and that tone is just that's just the 1980s guitar solo tone like 
it sounds like any shitty VHS porno you heard where a guitar was wailing in the background, <laughs> guy was using a chorus and delay pedal. Like if it's and any, if you're watching 70s porn, it would be it would be a wah wah pedal. It'd be a wah pedal. It would be a bounce like a wah wah pedal. Yeah. And now they're like, shit, it's the eighties. Let's use the chorus. So what when you say you're not a Neanderthal, I don't get that. What does that mean? Because there's like well, you know what? I think my generation, like, they'll run a lot of like the pedals in the front of the amp and like not use the effects loop. So if you're playing out of like a high gain, like amp, like distortion amp, and you're running like the chorus, like in front of the amp and not in the loop, like you just get this like really crazy oversaturated sound. You'll sound more like a shoegaze band that's just like running everything through the front, just pushing the amp as opposed to getting that like real laser clean, like chorus, like kind of attack. I just want to do whatever Brian Baker did in 1986. Whatever he did, that's what I want to do. That's it. You you can, <laughs> but the thing is, depending on the amps too, like you can run it because some of those amps like weren't as gain heavy back then, right? So they would run them in the front uh, to kind of just like fatten everything up. And I'm glad you brought up like uh, the Dag Nasty with Can I Say because like that to me... I feel like that's kind of like the first like good guitar tone on a hardcore record. Well, it's because... it's it's, com- it's total commitment because what it is is a chorus pedal turned up really high, turned on the entire time. There's not yeah. one note played that isn't through a chorus pedal. That's oh yeah, it's all over. And and I've heard him say that he's kind of like embarrassed almost. Like wow, boy that that's sure a strong effect. I don't know why I did that. It's like, no, you committed to something and it came out good. It's like, that's what taking chances is all about, you know? Yeah. And it's in, cause I'm looking at it. Whereas like prior to that record, you know, everything. And, and to me, I don't know if that's like the start of like, uh, guys maybe listening to it and be like, okay, this is like, a new thing from DC. It's still fast and aggressive, but it's melodic. And I kind of want my guitar to sound better. Cause to me, like hardcore prior to that is like, I don't want my guitar to sound like any of this shit. Like I want it to just sound abrasive and, and like, we're not about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Very few effects. Um, yeah. It's, it's just uh get a mark. Uh, it's the, the hardcore formula is basically the seventies hard rock formula, which is either a Gibson, like a Gibson guitar plugged into a Marshall, like a, a hundred watt Marshall. And that's it. Like Gibson Marshall period. End of story. No, no, uh, no pedals like ACDC, <laughs> but that yeah, works and- for like circle jerks and like most bands in their early eighties. Yeah. It, it works for like all of them because, and then while all this is going on, it's like, all of your metal bands are using choruses, like all your new wave bands are using all these pedals and effects. So it seems like, I don't know if can I say is like the first like hardcore record where the guitar tone is noticeably like brighter and different and more melodic and more thought out. Because to me, I feel like that's my favorite. And I don't even really call it a post-hardcore record. It's still a hardcore record to me because I don't really mess with any of that kind of post-hardcore DC stuff. But can I say is my 
favorite melodic hardcore punk record of all time. And I feel like that tone right there maybe starts like making guys in the hardcore scene maybe kind of give a shit about their tone a little bit more. And yeah. then, but then another peak year too, which what well, can I say is 85? Can I say is 85 or 86? 86. Yeah. So then, you know, like, you know, bad brains drop eye against eye. Right. And the guitar tone on that is, is absolutely chorus and delay and, and all that great stuff. And to me, that record is, is bad brains. Like I say, I've said this a lot. There is a lot of Van Halen in eye against eye. Like you got to listen to it, but you'll, you'll hear the parts. Like it's them definitely like, listening to all of that stuff and a lot of like 80s new wave and then they drop that record so and then you have like crossover kicking off right around that same time so you have already like the metal guitar player now fucking with like the hardcore punk dudes so he's bringing in like better gear and equipment so i feel like that's kind of the year that like you know dudes are like, oh, okay, yeah, fuck it. I'm going to get the Marshall stack. Like, I'm going to get, you know, the Whammy bars. I'm going to get the Floyd Roses. Like, everyone jumps that because that is just like, that was it. That was like the big trend in guitar at that point. Like, Floyd Roses on everything. Marshall stacks. Chorus pedals. Like, everything. So I feel like 86 is like the year where hardcore and just crossover hits the DC dudes take it like that to me looks like the year guys are like, okay, let's maybe care about some guitar tone a little bit more. Yeah. Greg, yeah. I want to ask you about that because so if the original hardcore guitar sound is guitar going through a Marshall, like what is the, the difference in tone like between agnostic front victim and pain going into cause for alarm in 86? Like obviously the style of music changes, but tonally, how does it change? Yeah, well, Victim in Pain is played by, like, dudes that, like, absolutely do not give a shit about how their stuff sounds, you know? Like, it's just like, yeah, fuck it, this is what's here, let's just max it out, it sounds, yeah, fuck it, lay the track down. Like, they're not even, you know, they're like, oh, the bass needs to sound dirty, fuck it, run it through, run it through distortion, that's what Motorhead does. Like, barely any thought being put into it, it's just like, all that first wave of hardcore shit is just like, just we're just delivering it to you like the ACDC way, just like boom, loud. I don't give a shit, whatever I can get my hands on. And that's like, dude, it's stigma playing. It's just like, you know, pure attitude. It's not even like thinking about like, well, hold on, let me like tweak the mids here and, and shave off a little here, here, here. Cause for alarm is like, I mean, that's Peter Steele. That's pretty much like Carnivore joins the band. Which are and, metal and, dudes, and that dude, that, that dude loves chorus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he uses on his bass, and it's it's a killer bass tone, right? So, yeah, to me, that's like right around that time. You have all these metal guys coming in and be like, "Hey, we can take this like total fast aggression and energy of this stuff, but hey, you can kind of play out of this amp that's like it sounds a little better or whatever." And for better or for worse, whoever you talk to. Like that was the also, depending on what shitty historian you follow, that's the year hardcore died, apparently. 
<laughs> and then um you don't subscribe to that historian yeah but you know how dudes are trash like, oh, can trash yeah, can exactly it, yeah it was done after this when the metal dudes came and whatever but so but isn't it ironic that victim in pain is like way better <laughs> even though they didn't care it's still way better of a record oh yeah i mean i'm not even gonna of course like i i, I, I love cause for alarm like absolutely they're two they're two totally different records i will say victim in pain is is better though still because it's just that's just classic like i don't know like that's I just, just fact yeah, yeah when yeah. when i hear victim in pain i just think of like I don't know, like a New York sewer cap just blowing up, like you know, <laughs> and Michelangelo so funny, down like, there with a slice of pizza. It's so yeah. funny, like Stephen Blush saying that hardcore dies in '86. Like, oh yeah, the same year the Age of Coral came out. Fucking hardcore, yeah, it's just, get out of here. <laughs> yeah, and like what, maybe he and, meant December '86. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, another thing, like another thing, Age of Coral comes out in '86, and it's like that's pretty much taking all that you know everything good about early 80s hardcore and they're you know it's like paris and doug holland and they're like yeah we're gonna run this shit out of like you know marshall jcm 800s we're gonna play out of bc riches like so to me that's the year where i don't know that's like the change of like the average guitar player in a hardcore band being like getting a little more gear conscious i suppose Although there were some, um, uh, you know, East Bay Ray from the Dead Kennedys, he would use an Echoplex. Uh, if you think about the guitar tone at the beginning of Holiday in Cambodia, how it's super eerie sounding and echoey. And, yeah. and use this thing called an Echoplex, which is actually a tape that records what you played and yes. then plays it back. Like and a space a echo. Yeah, it's his big. Yeah. yeah, space echo is another form of what the Echoplex is. Yeah. And I think... He would like my guitar. I had, I took guitar lessons a long time ago. And once I brought dead Kennedy's in to learn and he goes, Oh, and my guitar teacher was like, Oh yeah, I saw these guys. It's like, what you did. And he's like, yeah, the guy had an echoplex on stage and people would stage dive and they'd knock into the echoplex and it would go. And he'd get super mad. He'd be like, stop fucking stage diving off my, you know, guitar effect. So, and then also you hear delay on, if you think about the solo on Right Brigade on um, on the early Bad Brain, early 80s Bad Brain stuff, when he's doing the solo, there's a, definitely a lot of heavy delay on that. So there are some people are fucking with effects in the early 80s, too, just not to the same extent. Yeah. Yeah. And I forgot about that because I almost think like like bands like Dead Kennedys and Bad Brains, it's almost like you have like these because those dudes were a little bit older than the average early 80s hardcore person already yeah. when those bands are started so i feel like they are, they're coming from more like 70s background so they Absolutely. have like a little bit way more like better knowledge because like like you know i was like just talking with my coworker about dead kennedys today actually and, we, and just being tripping out about like like just how advanced they sounded even back then for what was like going on like totally. So yeah, but yeah, I I get the point you're making. But tonally, DK is kind of like on an island by themselves. Yeah, like, like they're just is surfy and 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 different. Like when we're talking about the evolution of like guitar tones, yeah, they're a little proto. You know, I want to keep moving forward. So 
talk about like the early hardcore, talk about the crossover and then uh, Dag Nasty doing, you know, one of the greatest melodic esque hardcore records ever. Um, let's move into the nineties. How do things change? And what about like metal creeping into hardcore more? Um, and the metal zone, right? Can, can I, can I also say that I don't know much about guitars, but I would say in the nineties, Mesa boogie amps become a major definitive sound. Oh, because I mean, I, I definitely think Metallica because uh, they switched to the to the mesas on Master of Puppets, and they used Mesa Boogie. I think Mark Fours, I believe, from like Master of Puppets and Justice for All, and you know, I think they probably definitely used Mesa for uh, for Black Album too. So they definitely, I know, made the brand a lot more popular for like the extreme stuff. Well, because a lot of the Fat Records bands they use Mesa Boogies in the '90s as well. And and some of the metal stuff as well, because you can get I mean, the tone out of it is kind of wild because a Marshall to get like the the optimum sound out of it, you need to crank it. And a Mesa, you can get the same tone on like two as you can on eight. Yeah, it's a high gain. It's a higher gain amp. And like gain is one of those things like um, sort of like a G letting the genie out of the bottle. It's hard to put it back in, you know, once everyone starts playing with more and more and more gain. It's hard to like, you, you'd have to consciously decide to play with less gain. Uh, but if you're just going with the flow, it's like how music got faster and faster and faster. Then it got more metallic. It's like, there's, there's certain trends that are like really difficult to reverse. And I think like playing with super high gain is one of those things. Yeah. Because it just sounds so good, right? Like if you're, if you're, not a very talented person like myself and you play with high gain and you're playing with a drummer. It just sounds so dope to palm mute, you know, like, yeah. Oh, you get high gain. I'm palm muted an E. It sounds fucking awesome. You I know? think when you're playing by yourself, it sounds more like, wow, this is almost like, this sounds like, a, like a real like guitar. But if you're playing with a band and especially if you're playing with a second guitarist, it's, you don't, you actually don't need that much gain to sound full, but it's well, just, ben, the you don't like heavy metal. So we we got to show you the door for the heavy metal chat. <laughs> right? Well, no, he, no, he, he, he's pretty dead. I mean, he's dead on. The thing is, is like, if, I mean, especially if you're like, depending on the room you're in too. I mean, look, if you have two guitars, like you're already doubled up, like that's already a fuck ton of sound in a spot. Right. So if you have, there is like a threshold, like it too much gain is going to sound shitty. Now, depending on like the riffs you're playing, like you would maybe get away with it if you're playing like really slow, chuggy stuff, because all you need is like, you want that, I call it the crunch punch, right? That's what you want. Like you want it to hit your gut, but you want this like nice crunch on the top of it. Right. Uh, and if you're playing like a slow riff, like, I don't know, you're able to get more with it, but if you're trying to do a little bit more like intricate stuff, the more gain you have, the more like sloppy is it's, it's going to sound because you're just, it's a super hot signal you're pushing. And I mean, like the whole gain war started because it's like guys and it's metal dudes in the eighties. It's like, okay, you know, we have the old marshals and they 
you know, would fucking crank them all the way to 11, as they say in Spinal Tap. And, you know, they'd throw a boost pedal on it and they'd put, you know, hotter pickups in the guitars. Like, everyone hot-rotted their shit to get this, like, really, like, aggressive tone, right? So then all the manufacturers are like, all right, well, instead of you guys having to hot rod everything and blow out your fucking amps all the time tubes, why don't we make a more powerful amp? So that's kind of what like kickstarts all this stuff. And then, you know, thrash eventually leads to death metal because it's like, you know, what Ben talks about where it's like the genie gets let out of the bottle where it's like everyone's got to push it to the next extreme. Like another younger generation needs to push it to the extreme. So yeah, dudes, they're like, oh, I don't want to play the thrash anymore. I'm playing these, like, I'm going to down tune my guitar because everyone was playing an E standard for this entire decade. Now we're going to play to C. We're going to drop it to B. So, right. and then so, we need more, we need more punch. We need more oomph. So then the mesas are more powerful because now people are down tuning. So. Right. And that's, that's what I want to talk about for like the nineties, like metal hardcore lane is people start playing with better equipment um, and they start drop tuning, right? You have all this stuff going on and they want to have like that crunch, like you're saying the crunch punch. But in the 90s, like a lot of these metal hardcore bands, what they don't have is like drummers that can play really well. So you have this this scenario where a lot of the bands are slow and they're going for like this heavy pummeling sound and they don't have the ability to like play fast. Yeah, I feel like Metallic Hardcore heard like uh, Sepultura's Chaos AD and we're just like, okay, boom, this is what we got to do, right? You know? Um, and, and, and this is like what I've always seen is like a hardcore dude, like they're always going to emulate what the metal dudes are doing when it comes to like the tones, which is which is like they want that stuff so they'll like cherry pick like like oh i want my amp to sound like that because like this is what these dudes use it and this record that i like and oh i want my riffs to sound like that i mean nowadays kids are like like shit like hardcore bands sound like bolt thrower now you know where in the 90s that was like that's death metal band you know so right uh, sonically a lot of the bands they were chasing like the death metal tone or listening to like KSAD, which comes out in 93 and trying but to, none of the, none of them had the chops of the death metal dudes, you know? So you're just making music for fools to beat the shit out of each other. Right. Well, definitely the drummers didn't have the chops. No, definitely not. That That's like where they lose it. Right. It's like Sepultura is a dynamic band because they have the fast parts. So they hit all the rhythms. And so when you're just going from, mosh section to mosh section in like slowed down drop tune songs it it loses it you know and, and also a lot of the bands they can't get the great recordings too so you have this it's, it's just like a really really weird time tonally and there's not that many not that many guitars can shred either i mean think about you're you're basically describing earth crisis like those guys didn't shred they didn't have like ripping solos but i'm not talking about earth crisis because they're like kind of cream of the crop i'm uh-huh. talking about like basically all the other bands. Like if you went to showcase theater in 1997, like the first four bands that play a hardcore show, you know, like that don't have the chops, you know, cause like earth crisis are getting down, but again, like they, their drummer's not playing fast, you know? I mean, if, 
He's very yeah. technical, though. He's yeah, a they're, really good technical drummer. No, that's like Earth Crisis is super. I mean, they're more into the grooves, but then this this is where it comes down to. It's like this is where like the hardcore punk thing always comes back in. Like, if you're from the scene, you're writing songs like because you're trying to write these anthems, and on the punk side of stuff, like punk's always been about songwriting. Like, you write songs that are going to have these like catchy parts. You're writing songs to like have people singing along. So you have that mindset. Whereas like metal dudes, it's, you know, you do kind of get some of that, but the metal bands that do that are trying to like be influenced from the punk side of stuff with songwriting. But for the majority, like the metal dudes are like, no, like I'm sitting in my room and I've been practicing my instrument for, you know, eight hours a day this entire summer. So I've wrote this in, crazy piece of music and we're just gonna blast through it and just like really you know like because we're demonstrating like the skills and like technical arrangements but then you lose like the songwriting element right because it's all rip salad at that point so that's where it's like earth crisis was definitely like okay we like we like you know we're liking all this early death metal stuff we like chaos ad we're gonna take these like slower sludgier groove parts and you know maybe even ape the tones off of it but we're still writing like straight fucking anthems with like a message behind it which is where the metal stuff kind of falls off on that end right yeah yeah and and earth crisis is a really interesting band and the the clones are not that interesting you know, there's a reason why Earth Crisis was so popular. Let's let's move on to like the the 2000s, and I don't know how much there is to touch on like in the early part of the 2000s, but there's a record that I think is super super influential for the next like 10 years of hardcore up to the present. Um, and it's it's the Harm's Way LP that comes out. The uh, it's the the second one or the first full length fucking a i had it up and then i didn't <laughs> give you a second it's the isolation record and uh they come in with like the the hm2 and i believe it is 2011 or 2009 i'll have it here in one second and greg can you talk a little bit about the, about the hm2 yes isolation came out in 2011 and they come in and like they're uh most of the songs are slow they're heavy they're groovy, but to me, it's like really catchy. And the, the tone is just super pummeling. And so they do like, I don't know. Do you, what do you have to say about the HM2, Greg? Well, uh, I'll, I'll piggy that. I'll piggyback that on to what I, what I wanted to bring up to talk about early 2000s stuff. When I is, I mean, that's kind of more my era. And then especially now you're talking about like harm's way and all this stuff. To me, when I listen to all these records from even like early 2000s hardcore into like mid 2000s, you got to give it up to Todd Jones, really, for for coming for for going for tone. And then I would also say um, like Kurt from uh, Converge, but both of those dudes, but specifically Todd, uh, I remember it's like. No, everything that guy touches, like, you know, 
those to- th- that guitar tone punches like that hit so you could tell that he had an ear for it so i i think you got to give credit where credit's due because right around this time too like metalcore blows up or like whatever wave of metalcore and it's like everyone has emgs everyone's playing out of like 5150s yada 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 but i feel like uh everything like todd touched like you can tell it's todd jones playing but because the guy i mean he's a guitar player and he's like a gearhead so he's going for certain sounds so i'd say for early 2000s like listen to the shit he does compared to any other bands and it's like those records are gonna sound a lot different that's just my opinion so so then to reference that we it's the the terror the first record lowest of low and then also one with the underdogs yeah and then also you know uh carry on too i mean like i like uh lifeless plague i mean that to me it still sounds fucking incredible like i I recorded with kurt yeah so there you go like so and then same thing so to me these are like the two dudes in the early o's that are like i don't know like like to me they're like actually kind of like paying attention like they're they're getting old marshals they're getting old stuff they're getting you know they're like doing the research they're making sure that their amps are just got a little bit more like extra than just your like average like run-of-the-mill hardcore band which was just like dude you're using a fucking 5150 and a guitar with emgs because it's like the early 2000s right now you know yeah, yeah but but i think what we've bypassed in the conversation is we haven't really touched on integrity as being a huge signpost in what a lot of people wanted to sound like guitar wise. Yeah. Yeah. But I definitely think it's like same. Like I think is like integrity is like the aesthetic of them too. And just like their overall vibe. But I also hear like integrity is like definitely trying to like ape like a bunch of metal stuff as well. Like, Oh, for sure. But I'm saying like, as far as heads being turned and influence being given within hardcore, I mean, integrity comes out and then ringworm does also. So that Mars sound is very desirable. And then unbroken wants to sound like integrity. And then lots of people want to sound like unbroken. And it's just this like ripple effect, you know, funny thing about uh, um, unbroken is, they were also trying to sound like undertow because Mark Holcomb had a a Gibson the Paul. That's the name of the guitar and a Fender M80 amp. And then they played in San Diego and he goes, Mark Holcomb told me the next time I came, we we came to San Diego under unbroken had, they were playing Gibson, the Pauls and Fender M80 amps, amps. That was not a coincidence. So there, there are a few things happening there. Yeah, and also Unbroken wanted to sound like Slayer as well, <laughs> you know. So, and, so it always goes back to like trying to sound like a metal band, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Because the the metal the metal dudes are like, you know, they're gonna be nerds enough to be like, like I'm gonna figure out, like I'm gonna sit there and we're gonna dial out tones. We're like hardcore dudes is more about like no let's just get in there plug it in fuck it we got to get the songs out because we're, yeah. we're playing the me- shows kind of the, the metal dudes are the punishers in guitar center sitting there all saturday long you know 
punishing whoever's working there or they are actually working there as well you know and that goes back to the beginning of time because i think you know minor threat playing through 100 watt uh marshall jmps is and and uh gibson's is a result of the influence of of acdc yeah absolutely they don't sound like acdc but if we're just talking about tone and influence okay but back Back to the to, to the harm's way record, right? Okay, yeah, yeah, and also like if if we're bringing up Todd, then we should also say, Greg, you wanted to talk about nails. Nails puts out the first record. I've seen humanity comes out in '09, which is the same year as harm. Uh, well, harm's way does imprisoned in '07, self titled in '08. They do reality approaches their first LP on organized crime in '09, and then I'm talking about isolation in 2011. Nails does a silent death in 2010 and abandon all life in 2013. And, and Zach, don't you think uh, the tragedy releases of the early two thousands are massive signposts as well? Yes. I for this ask, kind of sound. Absolutely. Know? Absolutely. For guitar tone, again, they sound totally brutal and they're drop tuned and yeah. they're, they're doing like a, a drop tune, non heavy metal, like licks. You know, like they're just going for heavy. More yeah. coming out of like a, you know, a Sabbath mixed with a D beat. Yeah, and they're definitely cranking uh, Marshall JCM 800s as well, right? Like that, they're doing very organic amps, not metallic amps too. Well, here, so right around this time period, I want to say the first band actually, because this kind of just popped into my brain because I remember seeing them at the Shea that I remember the, cause it's the buzz saw tone, the, the, the HM, the heavy metal pedal, the boss HM two pedal. That is what, you know, like the whole like Scandinavian, like melodic death metal scene used where they like just, the in flames and all of that. And tombs uh, at the gates, oh, okay. like all, all of these fucking bands. Uh, so what they did is like, they literally just took the HM two pedal, turned it on and just fucking, maxed it all out and it, you just got i mean it it's just a buzz saw like it's the most like abrasive sounding just like grinder type tone right and greg so, i just want to say for the people that don't know the the funny thing about the hm2 is like people fucked with it it's like from the 80s and like it's not a good sounding pedal until entombed just turned all the knobs yeah. all the way up and then they got it, this crazy tone out of it it's like how people in kitchens like come up with like a lot of food that we eat. It's like, Oh, we probably shouldn't have done that, but then we did it and it it tastes really good. It's like, yeah. And, and, but then it's probably just like some fucking long haired dudes, like smoking a joint or just shitty ass weed in Scandinavia one time. And they were just (laughs) like, they're like, like Olaf decided to fucking just like for a gag, just like turn all of them up to, to fucking max them out and they probably just chugged it and they looked at each other and like yeah it sounds good like and then that's <laughs> it like game over because then when you get the tone the riffs just just fucking come out after that you know because you shout start out writing <laughs> yeah shout out olaf you know and like all of those type of olaf dudes but what i want to say and i'm going to get give another shout out to uh i also gary from violation right around early 2002 was another guy who I remember watching violation play. And I believe he had 
an amp from Roger, Zach. Uh, it was old Randall RG100 that Dimebag Daryl used, uh, you know, to do like Cowboys from Hell. And I think Gary had it from Roger and Gary was using it and running a metal zone pedal through it because that's what the dudes from crowbar did. So once again, it's all like guys, from hardcore bands looking at what these metal guys were doing. Right. So right there, it's like Todd. Then I remember seeing Gary and Gary also had, you know, like a Bogner guitar head, which is like, they're ridiculously expensive. Like you could buy probably like a couple of used cars, you know, like for the price of one Bogner, they're ridiculous. You don't have to touch that amp. So I remember he had that kind of stuff too. And I remember him and Todd were like, as far as like SoCal guitar players and guys that were playing guitar in the scene in my era were like, fuck man, their guitars sound killer. Like mine don't sound like that, but I also don't have a $3,000 fucking guitar head. Right. So I remember those two dudes had, had their thing going on. And then I remember to, to tie into this HM stuff. Cause then you have Taylor young, uh, you know, like the whole young brothers, like who I feel is kind of like a, like kind of like a student of Todd Jones in a way, because, you know, he played in nails and I think he definitely picked up a lot of like guitar stuff. Like he starts kind of like pushing tones out but the first band that i remember hearing that buzzsaw attack was that band black breath from um portland Portland or seattle yeah or tacoma actually and and they came down and they played the shea and it was like rise and fall and black breath and black breath had that fucking buzzsaw guitar tone and you could probably look up the dates because I remember if you listened to that, um, maybe one of the first Black Breath EPs. It's the one where like the Reapers like slice, like slicing like a tr- like a trench line. Yeah, I think that has that HMM pedal. So, so they might have been on the jump. Maybe even Rise and Fall because they were doing a lot of that like super noisy sounding shit. But I feel like nails kind of like popularized it but it's also like harm's way could have it's like a bunch of dudes kind of at the same time in different areas kind of all gravitating towards this one sound at the same time so the first like, time, I don't, one of the, the guys from harm's way joins nails for a while as well yeah so once again it could probably like you know time in i know todd would probably have been like oh yeah this is what you know like the Swedish dudes are uh, were using on the entombed records, you know, and then you see right around this time, like guys that are into like really heavy beat down hardcore are now like listening to like old school death metal. And they're like looking at the shit that they use. So, uh, so I don't know, like, uh, like, because like the first harm's way record I heard, like they straight up just sounded like, like power violence. Um, like the fr- I think like it's either the demo or the first the imprisoned DP or whatever. Like it sounds like crossed out or something, just super crazy fast power violence with like these hard ass like mosh parts or whatever. Um, and like the recordings like terrifying sounding, you know. And then all you knew from the dude was he just had like a ski mask and was just like jacked 
beyond belief. <laughs> like, which is which was kind of cool because at that point it it brought that kind of like, whoa, what is this? What are these dudes? Kind of vibe back to hardcore. You're like, what the fuck is this guy's deal? What are these guys' deals? Like, you know, like where did they where do they dwell from? So uh but but yeah, like I don't know. I, I feel ugh, like who made it popular? I want to say Nails, though, but I could I could be wrong. Wait, now, so Nails made heavy the heavy metal pedal or the metal zone pedal popular? Because there's the, those are two different things. This sound, which is the HM2 pedal, the heavy metal pedal. Okay. Because it's not like they created the tone. Olaf from Sweden, yeah, yeah. Swedish dudes made the tone. But I feel like... Yeah, but, but that tone is made there, but then there's other influences like... For example, tragedy. For example, American Nightmare with the with the open gate like delay, recurring in between songs, yeah. so it's noisy and crazy, and the, all that stuff's being pulled in at the same time that you're taking the entombed and the other death metal sounds, and that's what's making it more hardcore. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's kind of. I remember that time period because uh, I wasn't even. Because I have been told in circles that uh, I my band has been referred to as chorus core, which <laughs> ha, I love which, it. Which which is like I'll I'll fucking die on that hill because you know when I play through my chorus like you know like it's easy to just crank an HM pedal and just palm mute a note for fucking three minutes and call it a song, but I mean maybe well, yeah. I kind of or- want. Chorus will show you your mistakes if you have it, right? No, no, I'm just, I'm just fucking around. I'm just talking <laughs> shit. Um, like, no, like, uh, cause I got introduced to chorus cause I was, uh, I, I got an effects, I got a delay pedal first cause I was like, I was like listening to like Rocky George thing. I was like, fuck, is it a sustainer? Is it a delay pedal? I don't know. And I wanted to get the delay to, to do kind of like longer, uh, like it more sustained and i remember putting in the effects loop and i was like okay cool this sounds good like i get this like really kind of creamy 80s lead tone and we played arizona and uh my friend aaron peters shout out to aaron peters she's like the arizona scene mom like she books everything and they had that band the beautiful ones at the time and my buddy Anthony from the Beautiful Ones, like they're big Prince fans. Like they love Prince, and that's why they're called the Beautiful Ones. And they were they were messing with the chorus pedals, like they had it. And I remember uh, it was Aaron's chorus pedal, and Anthony was using it. And he came up to me and he was like, "Yo, plug this in to your effects loop." And I was like, "Yeah, let's do it." And I remember we 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 put it on, and I fucking like bended a note like a brown and it like straight up sound like like some 80s older brother like kicked open your door and was like what's up dickhead it was just like <laughs> and, and we both looked at each other and i was like that's the tone Shit. i was like that's the fucking tone i was like it sounds like every fucking record i love it's just chorus and delay and then for the entire tour like i would just like kick that sucker on and like it made all my solos just like pierce through immediately. And I was just like, you know, yes, like this is what I've wanted. 
And then like every old metal head sound guy was just like, Oh shit. I haven't heard that in like 20 years, <laughs> you know, 30 years. So you're using chorus and delay at the same time, both on. Yeah. For, for, for the lead. So I, I okay. did that first and then I started using the chorus all the time but more subdued, just the more kind of like fatten up the tone. And then to do like higher, like I'll, I'll hit little higher chords. And if you, if you don't have a chorus on, you kind of lose a lot of the notes out of it. But if you have it on, it kind of like brings it out. So I kind of use it just to like fatten everything up. Yeah. But if you were really going to go chorus, you would replace your whammy bar with the ugly stick. That's right. <laughs> Shout out What's the it's no, a chorus chorus of disapproval reference. I, I'm uh, just, I have nothing to add to guitar things. I just have stupid comments to add. Yeah. Okay. No, so to bring, this, to bring this back, so I think we can agree that, like, yeah, sonically, nails is extremely influential with like the HM2, and then also, I believe Harm's Way sonically, and then as well as like the songwriting on that Isolation record. Because I think that after that record comes out, there's so many bands in the next 10 years that really settle into like that style of... Oh, because Harm's Way, Harm's Way toured more though, right? So like they were probably out there like hitting it way harder and, and kind of like pushing that sound out more, well, I feel. It's more attainable. Like circling back to like the 90s, it's, it's easier to play like heavy slow than it is to play nails right like todd is ripping and taylor's ripping like that's just a really hard sound to replicate you know like john g and ellie's playing two notes right so (laughs) but you have like to replicate that is very hard where to do like a a lesser than harm's way band is like very appealing and much more easy than doing like a lesser than nails band well yeah because when you when you like you know you down tune and you plug into the hm thing and you like crank an amp and you have that on you start chugging i mean dude it's like it's pure power it sounds like buzzsaw like you're just like holy shit so you know you immediately like can even play like a really simple like but it just sounds like like you're getting crushed by a fucking tank you know so it's definitely like appealing and i do think that like yeah harm's way was definitely like pouring way more like they'd be doing like uh and they got on metal blade and they were um you know they uh, i mean like they did like they tore like more like kind of like the metal core stuff and they do like the hardcore tours and they do the metals like and straight metal things as well so yeah i feel like they they definitely you know um probably like push that tone or sound out a little more i just remember hearing it for the first time i want to say i remember hearing it from like black breath like i remember at the shea and that must have been like 2008 and i was like oh shit that thing is like that is is like brutal ass tone so um but yeah i mean to your point they probably definitely push that sound out a little bit more because i don't think like nails has always been like super selective in like what they do anyways so and again it's just it's really hard to do a band like nails like there's a reason why that's like todd's band you know like he's gonna write shit that's really fucking hard you know yeah and he's gonna like you're he's gonna pick 
like the best dudes to be in it. Like there's there's gonna be like no slouches in that right, game as right, well. Right. So yeah, fair. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think this was a fun little uh truncated walk through some guitar tones throughout hardcore history. Mm-hmm.